Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 64 of the Ventures podcast. You know, I got the opportunity to spend some time in New York City last week with a bunch of the Web3 community. And one of the things we talked about is just the relative lack of product managers in the Web3 space, people who understand how to build products for humans that um, that take a design lens, but also understand all the infrastructure, DeFi, DAOs, um, how, how we how we use zero knowledge proofs, how we think about um, the, the process of coming up with with new technologies, new consensus mechanisms. What are the infrastructure layers available, and what is possible to actually build? So I'm actually starting a series of, of training materials and, and building curriculum to help train non-technical people, but also technical people to think from a product perspective how to build for humans in the Web3 era. And it's, it's fundamentally very different than the Web2 space. And so I wanted to pull a clip here from episode 18 with Spencer and Tony, Tony Little and Spencer Graham. And they are two amazing Web3 product managers that have a really interesting perspective. And we talk about self-sovereign identity, we talk about uh, decentralized autonomous organizations or DAOs, and we talk about scaling trust. So if you are listening to this episode, you can also watch by visiting wclittle.com and there you'll see more extensive show notes to the things that we talk about today. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, and if you're watching, you can also listen anywhere that you get your podcasts. You can just search for Ventures. So with that, please enjoy this clip with Tony Little and Spencer Gray. There was a story at the end of episode two, one of our podcast guests shared a story of Jeff Bezos starting Amazon. And essentially he, he said a quote that said, Bezos started Amazon and started bringing the selling of books online because he literally couldn't fit all the books in a store, right? So the, so the internet essentially enabled selling a, a large volume of SKUs online because putting that in a physical store was simply not possible. So now for entering blockchain, yes, there's DeFi, and these are essentially traditional products just bring just brought decentralized. What, what, what are you seeing both either currently or what you hope for in the future, and this may be uh, difficult to see, obviously, with prim the primordial soup analogy, but what new products that we couldn't have before, de before decentralization are now, are now possible? Do you have, do you have any example? I have one, I've only, in my, in my narrow understanding of the space, I really only have heard of one that, that comes immediately to mind. Obviously, there's, there's nuance and we can debate like even what's, what's new and what's, no, what's old. But maybe before I share my one, is, are there others that, that, that you're familiar of that, 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 that this new infrastructure can, can produce? Yeah, I have one. Um, you know, when you, when you fire up a web browser or go to your phone and connect to services, there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes that you just don't worry about. It just works, right? TCP IP is, I think, the protocol people you generally think about. There's some directory services in the middle to make sure that when you type a URL, it, it gets to the right place, right? Um, but all that's pretty well hidden. Today, one of the big challenges that everyone runs up against is another form to fill out to get an account somewhere, mm. right? So every time you go, now, now today there's things where sometimes you can like let Facebook 
connect for you, right? A federated model where you can sort of allow Facebook to send your credentials to this other service. So you don't have to fill out another form, right? But really that's owned today then by Facebook. They kind of have a shadow identity for you that you sort of grant them the ability to, to manage. There is a big push in the standards industry right now to leverage blockchain underneath an identity system that will radically change how we interact with digital services in the near future. That could be two years, five years, 10 years out when that protocol gets to the point where it has mass effect enough where everyone folds into it and says, this is what we're gonna use for identity. The term that's generally used is called self-sovereign identity, but it's sort of this loose net term right now. And there are a number of protocols competing for that. So when we talk about blockchain at its core, I don't think about a traditional product. I think about a tradition, I think about an upgraded protocol. So when you literally log into your phone, there's this collection of attestations that you are who you say you are, based on the fact that you're holding your phone, that the picture of your face has been taken, mm. that you've used that phone before to access a service in a certain way. And it understands the likelihood that you are who you say you are, and then you just fold into these services. So today, there, when it comes to your like app library, a lot of that's pretty seamless. But it will be like that for the rest of the internet, I think, in the near future. And so when I say one thing that I'm really excited about is the ability for us to more easily access digital services, blockchain is going to play a part of that. Mm. So to me, that seems like the one that is really not only, I think, coming soon, but it's really a necessity to leverage a lot of the power of this, this underlying ledger that may help us keep track of all the little things that we need to keep track of that today, it requires a bunch of third parties to do for us and we pay through the nose for it today. Hmm. How about you, Spencer? I'm trying to think of whether what I'm gonna say counts as a product or not, <laughs> or a new, new product. Um, and I guess to your, to your point, I'm not entirely sure it's new, like net new either. Uh, and I guess one, one of the aspects of my journey along this the last number of years learning and, and, and doing has been sort of a realization that none of this is really new in a sense, like the US legal system or other people's legal systems, they're almost like that's a protocol on top of which you can build other things. Just like Ethereum is a proto protocol on top of which you can build other things. So like a lot of stuff is that you can do on, on a blockchain or on Ethereum, you can kind of sort of maybe sort of do it. Or there are analogies in, in, in the traditional world where instead of smart contracts running the thing, it's the US legal system that is kind of the backbone to the thing working. One example of that is uh, co-ops. So like REI or uh, Rainbow Grocery in, in San Francisco or any number of other, other organizations that are, are true co-ops where there's no single owner and employees and other people are kind of joint stakeholders in making the thing work. And that, like, that's a really fascinating concept that exists in the real world, but is being hypercharged or supercharged by blockchain. And or in, especially within Ethereum in the DAO space or, or decentralized autonomous organization space where you can now have a true 
joint ownership and joint control over a shared thing um, without having to rely on anybody else to uh, to sort of adjudicate that control or or make sure make that control possible and that is 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 really interesting and I think has the potential to change the way nonprofits work the the way even companies work um, and potentially change the way work itself gets done hmm. or what work or what people's day-to-day -day actually looks like. I'm not sure it's necessarily going to happen, but I think it has the potential to do that. So, so maybe fundamentally it's a scale thing. Maybe in the same way that you back in the day you had a physical store and then there became the internet provided the infrastructure for this new thing, which was a digital store where instead of only having 2000 SKUs in a physical store, you can now have 2 trillion SKUs uh, or maybe not quite that many, but two, like a very large number of SKUs in a, in a, in a score. Um, and it, it sounds like actually similar in DeFi, right? Yes. You could have a bank that has a certain scale, but by putting these, protocols on chain and, 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 and putting money flow and programmatic money flow on chain, you can scale something that maybe existed before. I mean, my, my, my product analogy was I heard of this, um, this, this protocol that was allowing people to access the internet in places when they couldn't get internet and the, the chaining of internet through neighbors to get up, up, down, up a mountain and then down into a valley. That that's, that's something that, that, the neighbors had to had to have a common protocol, even if they didn't trust each other, by which they can lend their internet and get that. That in my mind was something new, but I think even in this paradigm that we're talking about, really all that's doing is scaling something that could exist at a more at a more local level. Am I am I thinking about that paradigm the right way when it comes to the blockchain, or is there is there maybe even a, a more fundamental paradigm shift here? Uh, yeah. To my, to my mind, all technology does is reduce costs, increase convenience. If you wanted to have Facebook before Facebook existed, you would just put it, you'd keep track of an email list and you'd email your pictures to everybody. And you'd have to, everybody'd have to kind of do all that. And it's a lot of work and it's a lot of friction. And if you think about what Amazon did, they just reduced the friction of getting people in to their, to getting product in, people in and product out, buyers and sellers to connect. It's Uber, right? <laughs> Same kind of idea, right? So when it comes to, to crypto, you can do a finance. That's one of the cool things about it. Like number of sort of companies that I invested in over the last number of years because the barrier to entry was so low, it's incredible. Like it would take, you know, signing a ton, ton of forms and, and doing a bunch of other things and to, to even get close. And I, I can indicate a really small piece of something and do that at a way that no, no one's going to like take an angel investment of $5 anywhere except in crypto <laughs> in the <laughs> DeFi space, right? I mean, no one's going to like go through the legal work of getting a formal safe document and have them sign it because they're going to, they're going to bid us $5 in your fledgling startup. But when it comes to this protocol, the way in which blockchain works is literally the transaction fee, the transact, the cost of investing $5 in a company would be almost nothing. And it's a very different way of thinking about finance. So I think you're right. It's a, that's kind of that's what it is. It's reduction in friction, and letting many actors all participate at whatever level they can participate, and it's empowering in a lot of ways. That's one of the reasons why with Bitcoin, people talk about banking the unbanked. So the reality is, you can do that 
because there's an infrastructure that's low cost that you can distribute across the world. Hmm. I think a, a major piece of, of friction that you're talking about, Tony, is, and this, this, world, is, it, this word is all over the blockchain space, uh, a major piece of friction is trust. And I think if we're talking about scalability or scaling something, at a certain at a certain level, what blockchains are doing is there are scaling trust. So if we think about DeFi right now, I can, um, I let's say I could lend somebody in Fiji some amount of money in exactly with exactly the same trust assumptions with which I can lend or with which I can lend my brother some money. Um, so like trust is traditionally a very small scale thing because you have to know know the people involved to a, a sufficient degree where you actually have a sense of what you, you kind of know what they're going to do or you know what they're all about. Um, so things, when we start to grow our network and we start to grow the people we interact with such that we can't actually know all of them to that degree, then a lot of things that are possible within small groups stop becoming possible. Unless we are able to use a blockchain to do it, in which case, uh, and with correct protocols, in, in which case that same type of trust that I can have with somebody in a small group can be extended to somebody across the world that I don't know at all. Um, so I, I think scaling trust is, is, is a major component. Yeah, that's good. That's, that, this is it's a really interesting conversation because I, you often hear the word trustless, but what trustless is, is just scaling trust. It's, it's placing the trust instead of in the small number of human beings, it's placing trust into the machines, into the cryptography, into the game theory mechanics that is going to trust that that ledger with our machines and the programs that we've set up are going to be reliable. Is that, is that how you would kind of think about the, the trustless versus scaling trust conversation or is there something different there? Yeah, like trustless, trustless, the word is just shorthand for everything you just said and also placing trust that in the fact that the, the code was written correctly and there's no bugs and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. It's like an extreme minimization of trust, not getting rid of it altogether. And really what you're trusting in is the fact that people are going to act in their own self-interest. The way these networks work is that people use their dollars, their money, whatever is valuable to them. They buy hardware and, and mine, or they take U.S. dollars and buy tokens and stake them. You're trusting that greed is <laughs> consistent across humans, and they will act in their best interest. And the Bitcoin blockchain has proven for 10 years that this is a trustworthy way to think about decentralizing systems. All right, a couple quick things before you go. Number one, I have a general newsletter where I write about technology and startups and health science and teaching people to code. And I write about a variety of different subjects that we talk about on this show. So if you go to wclittle.com, 
there you'll be able to subscribe and you'll also be able to subscribe to particular topics if you're just interested in one or a few of them you'll be notified right when I publish new content in those areas. Number two, my partners and I at Proto Ventures have a portfolio company called Startup Rocket. If you go to startuprocket.com, there you'll be able to receive coaching guides and customize an operations framework for you and your team and your advisors to be on the same page in terms of what is the appropriate next step for you and your entrepreneurial journey. And finally, if you wouldn't mind leaving a review anywhere that you have listened to this podcast or watched this podcast, it'd be super helpful to help those who might be interested in consuming this content as well. Thank you.